Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, last month in February, there were devastating blackouts in Texas. Some people, even in urban areas like Houston, were without power for days on end, sometimes for a week. It was really cold, in some cases record-breaking cold, for a few days. And as a result, the pipes in buildings froze, there was no electricity, the natural gas stopped. And when the weather warmed up again... These frozen pipes melted, and then the pipes were broken, and there was all kinds of water damage. In the meantime, there was a lack of potable water. You know, the recommendation is, okay, well, get some snow and melt the snow and get the water from that, but there was no gas to heat the water. So it's kind of a disaster on every single dimension. It was bad weather. It was snowing. The pipes were frozen. No water, no food, no heat, and a lot of people died. Sounds just like the blackouts that we've been having for the last three or four years in California. So it's been there, done that, and it's happened three years in a row in California and no one in sight. And hopefully Texas isn't going to be like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it continues. So on this week's show, we're going to be talking about the practical solutions to the power failures in Texas. Now, I was watching the news and Rick Perry, who was the former Texas governor and the Department of Energy secretary for for a while under uh, President Trump, he said Texans would rather be out of power than to depend on people outside the state of Texas for power. So Texas is an independent grid. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So I'm pretty sure he's not talking about everybody in Texas. These people that I saw on the news, these people that were miserable, they would sure be happy to connect up to the grid and look at other practical solutions, even always pay a few pennies more for electricity so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. So before we look at the practical solutions, it's good to kind of put things in perspective. And I'll summarize my understanding of the root causes of these problems. There's been tons of press coverage on the causes of the blackouts. So here we go. First, it was unexpectedly cold in Texas. Now, many people think that global warming somehow caused these cold snaps. Now, it's kind of not intuitive why global warming would make it really cold in a southern state like Texas. But the logic in what I read was there's this thing called the polar vortex, which is cold air that comes down from the North Pole. And the jet stream usually kind of cruises across the country going from west to east. But because of this global warming situation, that jet stream kind of slid down to the lower U.S. states like Texas, and it pulled some of that polar water down. This condition happens every once in a while in more northern parts of the country, but it looks like it's starting to happen down in Texas. So that theory may or may not be correct. It makes sense, but let's put that aside because we're really not sure. But the reality is that over the last three or four decades, every 10 years or so, there's been similar cold snaps in Texas. Really, really cold weather. It happened in 1989, happened in 1996, it happened in 2011. So in addition to seeing record-breaking high temperatures, obviously it's easy to associate that with global warming, we're seeing all over record-breaking weather, record-breaking low temperatures. Not consistently, but you know we're still breaking records. And what happened With this year's cold weather, it was comparable to things that we've been seeing in the past in Texas. So it's not kind of like a one-off, it's never happened before. It just doesn't happen every year. It's been happening every 10 years or so. Now, whether global warming is the cause or not for these cold snaps, it's still going to happen again. It's not going to be frequent, but infrequently, Texas will have this extremely cold weather. I guarantee that this is going to happen again in Texas. Who knows if it's going to happen in five years or 10 years or 15 years, but it's going to happen again. So next question is, 
why did the power go out? Just because it was cold. Well, there's universal consensus that there wasn't enough generating capacity during this cold weather to meet the state's electricity needs. Now, a little bit of background. The Texas electric grid is managed by the Energy Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T. Now, side note, if the word reliability is in your organization or business's name, you better be reliable. So according to ERCOT, 87% of the power plant shutdowns during this cold weather were caused by thermal plants. The thermal plants are plants where they heat up water in some way, natural gas heats it, coal heats it, nuclear heats it, and then that water turns into steam, it drives turbines, and the turbines actually produce the electricity. So 87% came from power plant shutdowns using fossil fuels or nuclear. 13% were from wind turbines. I'm not sure where solar fits in on that, but there's been lots of press about how the fact that although Governor Abbott who was the governor of Texas, said that renewable power was the cause of Texas blackouts. In fact, and this has been completely debunked, renewables, both wind and solar, did not cause it. It was mostly caused by fossil fuel plants and, and thermal plants going down. And in fact, according to some press reports, the wind and solar actually outperformed the relatively modest power that was expected during this cold weather, during the snow. So the biggest shortage was clearly caused by problems with power plants. Now, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Like, why just because it's cold do these power plants fail? Well, got to remember, lots of places on Earth have cold weather every year. Wind turbines, gas pipelines, coal and gas power plants, nuclear plants, they all work in these locations. So why did it fail in Texas? The reason is pretty simple. These power plants were not equipped with the weatherization kits to keep them running in very cold weather. Now, you can't go to Home Depot and buy these weatherization kits like you buy weather stripping. But you can go to an auto store in the northern parts of the U.S., Canada and other places, where they have these things called engine block heaters. So I used to live in Boston. Sometimes it was really, really cold. You take this gadget that goes into the oil dipstick where you put the oil into the car. You, you put it in and it just keeps the engine, you know, keeps it from going below zero. Because when it's really cold, the oil's very viscous and the engine doesn't like to start. It requires a lot of battery charging. So they have these weatherization kits for cars, for trucks. A lot of places up north, you park your car and you plug the car in so that this heater's always going. So the same thing is available for power plants. Pipelines have these heat trace wires that can be installed inside or outside the pipes that keep them from freezing. Wind turbines have heaters that can be installed in the gearboxes and the motors that kind of keep them working. Power plants, there's a lot of valves and meters and gadgets like that, including at nuclear plants that, that you need to kind of see how things are going. There's automatic valves. So there are kits that are gonna keep those things from freezing when there's really, really cool. So what happened in Texas is all these weatherization accessories, they weren't installed because it almost never, ever got that cold in Texas. And the power plant operators, and when they're building these plants, they say, okay, are we going to spend another million dollars on this nuclear plant or $100,000, I don't know, make up these numbers, or $100,000 on every wind turbine to put in this weatherization kit. And the power plant operators who are buying this equipment say, eh, you know what, let's skip it. We can save some money and we're probably not going to have a problem. So these weatherization kits were basically not installed. If they were installed, these power plants would have been fine. The pipelines would have been fine. The natural gas compressors that are cranking, you know, that are pressurizing the pipelines, they would have been fine, but they weren't. The weatherization kits are like insurance. It costs a little bit of money 
at the beginning to put them in, and it saves a lot during a disaster. So the power plant operators and, and installers, they're able to get away without spending money on weatherization, well, I guess for at least 10 years so far. They basically skipped buying these kits, which in essence, when you look at it, they're like cold weather insurance. Spend a little bit of money when it goes in to make sure that the power plants are going to work. So they were penny wise, but pound foolish. And as a result, it wasn't just like one power plant. It was most of them. And as a result, you had that statewide power outage. Now, Power plants went out. Bummer. What are we going to do? It happens once in a while in other places around the country, but there's a big networked grid. The problem in Texas is the Texas grid is basically an island, a big freaking island, second biggest state in the country. And the Texas government's also, they're very independent, very independently minded. So they did not want to be connected to the eastern grid and the western grid of the United States. And when I'm talking about connected, these are high-voltage transmission lines that kind of connect all these grids. So throughout the western part of the U.S., there's a big electric grid that's connecting all the states. Power lines cross state lines all the time, and the same thing on the east. Now, in addition to just an independent attitude, one reason why Texas didn't want to be connected to this grid is they wouldn't be subject to the rules of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC. So what FERC does is they oversee the interstate wholesale sales of electricity. So when there's a transfer of power from one state to another, it's done on a fair, consistent way without manipulation, like Enron did 20 years ago. So except for a very small part of western Texas, I think it was like El Paso or something that was connected to the western grid, the rest of the state could not get power that was in some cases available from the eastern grid and the western grid. Now, a lot of places also in the central part of the U.S. where Texas is were experiencing power shortages, but they were able to get power from, I mean, heck, you wouldn't be surprised if you get electrons coming all the way from the east coast to make it over there. So because these grids are just really completely interconnected. All right. So there are good reasons. Well, we can't say they're good. There's a number of clear reasons why there was a power shortage in Texas. And reasons why Texas could not get help from other states because there was no way to connect with the state. So when there's a power shortage, without a lot of backup power, batteries, the power generation fails. And here's the way electricity generation works and power plants work and consumers work. The amount of power generated has to equal exactly what the customers are using. If there's not enough of it, there's going to be blackouts. And normally these grid operators like ERCOT and California has the independent system operator. They do a really good job, pretty good job, of making sure that the generation of power equals exactly what the demand is. Now there's a little bit of excess capacity in terms of the turbines. They can speed up and slow down fairly quickly. There's hydroelectric power that you can kind of open up a valve and get some extra electricity that way. And now they're putting in batteries to kind of level that out. Or if there's an extra gas turbine that they might need to turn on if there's shortage, they can do that. But what happened in Texas, because there was just no way to get power from outside, not enough energy storage in the state to come up with power. And then the power plants that they were depending to like turn on if there was a power shortage, those were out too. So as a result, the Texas grid operators had to just kind of say, hey, there's not enough power for this area of Houston. We're just turning the power off because if they try to kind of support it with insufficient power, the voltage goes down and equipment is damaged everywhere. So you just can't kind of say, all right, we're going to give you a little bit less power. You either get what you need or you get none. And 4 million people in Texas completely lost power. They got none. 
Now, to make matters worse, Texas has a free market for electricity power sales. Now, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Free market's a good concept. And here's how the free market in Texas works. There are companies that generate the power with power plants. They're the ones that own power plants or operate the power plants. And there are retail electric companies that actually do the billing and sell the power to businesses and homeowners and may provide some of the line service and the maintenance and things like that. So because there's a free market, free market means basically people can charge whatever they want. And the theory is that if there are some power retailers, electric retail companies that are charging too much for electricity, well, then customers are going to go somewhere else where it's cheaper. So it's actually not regulated. Power retailers can charge kind of whatever they want. They want to have a low price, just like capitalism works. It's a free market. But if the price is too low, they don't make enough money. If the price is too high for the electricity that they sell, they don't sell a lot. They lose customers. So the retailers had flexibility there. And they would always have to buy the power from wholesalers. Wholesalers are the power plants. So basically, they might buy the power and they mark it up, whatever the business needs, 10 or 20%. I don't know what it is offhand, but enough to make a profit and, and to have a viable business. Now, usually, this retail electricity markets work pretty well, both for the power producers, the wholesalers, and the customers, except when there's a shortage of power. And so when this happens, when there's a shortage of power, the power wholesalers do, these are maybe the generators, and they say, well, you know, there's a shortage. It's a free market. Well, if there's a shortage, we can sell it for more money. Um, and they, they raise the price of power to hope that the supply and demand is going to come into line more a bit when the price is high or when the supply is constrained, the price is high, and then there's less demand. Well, so that's what they did. They raised the prices because there was some precious electricity from the power plants that happened to be working and the power plants and the wholesalers are going to say, hey, let's just sell this for more money. So let's look at what the magnitude of this price increase was. And this, thinking back 20 years, it's basically the same thing that Enron was doing. Enron was selling power to retailers or to utilities. They were manipulating the price. And the way they were manipulating the prices, they were artificially creating a shortage of power by saying all these plants have to be undergoing maintenance. So when there was a shortage of power, they were able to raise the price of power to everybody else. Now, the situation in Texas is different. In Texas, the shortage of power was caused by cold weather and the power plant shut down. So typical wholesale power prices in Texas are 50 megawatt hours a month. Now, it kind of drives me crazy because I'm reading all these press reports and seeing all these videos and articles and news reports about power that's $50 a megawatt. Only power geeks know what that means because nobody pays for power by the megawatt. Everybody pays for power by the kilowatt hour. So putting this number in perspective, $50 a megawatt is really... Five cents a kilowatt hour. You look on your electric bill, you can see what you're paying for electricity. I mean, here we're in Silicon Valley. Maybe the price that our electricity wholesaler is charging, which is either Silicon Valley Clean Energy or San Jose Clean Energy or Peninsula Power, they charge like six or seven cents a kilowatt hour. So in Texas, the wholesale power price was about five cents a kilowatt hour. Kind of ballpark to what we're paying here in the, the Bay Area. But what happened is during the shortage, the price went up to what they say, $9,000 per megawatt hour. It sounds like, oh, that's ridiculous. It's really, it's still ridiculous. It's really $9 a kilowatt hour. So you look at your electric bill and the average electric bill in the U.S. is about 1,000 kilowatt hours a month. $9 a kilowatt hour, that's $9,000 a month for electricity. That's out of control ridiculous. Whereas 
at five cents a kilowatt hour, obviously we're looking at something that's much lower as far as an average bill. So you see, it just spiked from five cents a kilowatt hour on the wholesale level to $9 a kilowatt hour on the wholesale level. So that's like 450 times more. It's ridiculous. Now keep in mind, what's the average retail rate of power in Texas? The average rate is about 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Compared to here in California, it's probably 25 or 30 cents. So Texas has cheap power. They got a lot of wind generation. They've got a lot of fossil fuel plants. They're deregulated. So on the average, the retail rate's pretty darn good in Texas. This free market for electricity has been working pretty well. So normally the power retailers in Texas are selling their power for 12 cents a kilowatt hour. Pretty darn good. But when the power failure spike hit, the retailers had to buy power, not at five cents, but at $9. And they typically mark it up from there. But, you know, the markup would be completely negligible. Nobody would even notice. But that's a huge difference. Imagine if you're in a business and normally you bought your product for five cents and you had customers that were always buying your product for five cents and suddenly your customers are always buying the product for 12 cents, but you were buying for five, not a bad profit. But now suddenly your costs were $9 and the customers still had to buy your product. That's what's happened with electricity in Texas. So just kind of looking at what the average consumption is in Texas, 1,200 kilowatt hours a month, a little bit more than the U.S. average of 1,000. That's because there's a lot of air conditioning demand. That works out to be 40 kilowatt hours a day. So if the average electricity rate was 12 cents, people would be paying maybe $4.80 a day, five bucks a day for electricity on the average in Texas. But when wholesale power costs spike to $9 a kilowatt hour, the average daily bill is 270 bucks. And if people were running their furnaces, maybe turning on their electric stove because there was no gas, running electric heaters to stay warm, they could easily be using 100 kilowatt hours a day, 900 hours a day. And you see the horror stories about people with $10,000 electric bills, $17,000 electric bills, just running like a light bulb and curled around that, they would still have a really, really high bill. So that's what happened. There was a shortage of power because of the blackouts. Anybody that did have power was selling it for a lot of money. And the customers were basically forced to buy it. Then they look at their bill and they're getting clobbered. So now, how do we solve these problems? Let's look at the practicality of solving these problems in Texas anytime soon. Say, over the next five years. Now, first, let's just kind of look at the assumptions that we made and kind of what's going on. Will normal weather resume? Uh, probably not. We're probably looking at Weather in Texas, it's going to be super duper cold every 10 years and maybe more often as there's more global warming. Bizarre, but that, that could happen. Same thing in the rest of the world. It's just getting hotter. So that's not going to change. Second, will all the power plant operators suddenly snap their fingers and weatherize their systems? Eventually, I think they will, but it's not going to happen voluntarily and it's not going to happen right away because everybody has a short memory. If the state of Texas would make sense to mandate or create new laws that you have to weatherize your power plants. That's going to take a few years. I mean, take them a year or two to pass the laws and there's going to be all kinds of belly aching and moaning about whether they have to do that because, you know, this was just a, a one in a hundred year situation. So it's going to take a while for those power plants to be weatherized and the power plant operators natural gas plants, nuclear plants, wind turbines, they're going to have to raise their prices because it's not cheap to weatherize these systems. It's usually more expensive to weatherize something after it's installed than to kind of retrofit it. And then there's going to have to be money spent in Texas 
to repair the damage to the grid, to the power equipment that failed, to the frozen pipes in homes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to take time for these power plants to be adequately weatherized. Not going to happen right away. Third, will ERCOT connect with the eastern and western grids? Will Texas change their attitude and their policy about connecting to the eastern and western grid? Because if they were connected, they would have been able to buy power from elsewhere, and it would have been a heck of a lot cheaper than $9 a kilowatt hour. So maybe they will, but I can guarantee you that change isn't going to happen really soon. I mean, it's going to be a messy political fight because a lot of people, policymakers, businesses are going to say, well, this is a one-time thing. It never happened before. So in addition to this political fight, the deregulated electricity market in Texas sounds like it's a good idea, right? We're going to deregulate it. All the customers get to have cheaper power. Well, the Wall Street Journal did an analysis on this, and they found since 2004, average electric prices were $28 billion more than they should have been. So that statistic is going to get out there, and there's going to be all kinds of arguments about whether or not the electricity market continued to be unregulated. And I can tell you, whenever there's deregulation, re-regulation takes even longer than deregulating something. So because of these political issues, because businesses are pushing really hard, there's not a simple fix to this at all. There's going to be a lot of political arguments. Many years, I mean, not one year. It's going to be five years or more of hand-wringing over what the state of Texas should do. So we talked about what some of the solutions have to be, and I'm not kind of skeptical that these things are really going to happen fast. So... Let's kind of come back to the original topic of discussion. What can you do as a business or a homeowner in Texas in this environment, business environment, electricity environment, climate environment, that these things are going to keep happening and that there's not going to be some immediate five-year solution for the state of Texas to fix it? And the reason why I'm also so skeptical about it is because we've seen the same thing happen in California with power failures and fires. Now, to be realistic, most politicians and regulators, I would say all of them, they want to try and fix the problem. Almost all of them. Former Governor Perry basically said, we don't need to fix the problem. This is Texas, but that's not reality. Most politicians are going to try and fix the problem, but it's going to take a long time for them to agree on solutions. Politics is a very messy process, and it's even worse when they have to implement the solutions in the face of utilities and other businesses that are going to aggressively say, no, we want to keep it the way it was because, you know, according to the Wall Street Journal, $28 billion more poured into those businesses. They're going to want to keep doing it the way it is. And what we've seen happen, and I'll give you some examples, utilities and businesses are aggressively going to use the legal process, lawsuits, to delay any changes. They're going to be lawsuits to delay payments to customers who are harmed by this to delay payments between the electricity retailers and customers who the retailers are going to try and collect the $9,000 electric bills. The customers are going to say no. The politicians are going to say that's not fair. And the wholesalers are going to say to these retailers, there was one that's called Gritty, say, hey, you got to pay us for all this electricity that we suddenly sold you over a week. And Gritty's going to say, oh, sorry, we don't have the money. So it's going to be lawsuits everywhere. And, and here's a couple of examples just recently from California. When pg e went bankrupt, they basically said, hey, you know, we're not going to compensate the customers as much as we should. So a couple of examples. In 2010, there was a natural gas explosion in San Bruno. Five years later, PG&E was fined $1.6 billion by the California Public Utilities Commission. I'm not sure if that $1.6 billion went into homeowners' pockets. 2017, 
PG&E settled the lawsuit with insurance companies for $90 million. So you can see what happened. Five to seven years for these issues to even to be resolved for the money to come back. People are still waiting to get their homes rebuilt in Santa Rosa from the fires that happened three years ago. So the business reaction is, oh, let's delay because we don't have to pay. And the other thing that happens, and this is the way businesses operate, realistically, because they got good lawyers, if they get sued and they lose, they appeal those lawsuits. So these things... They're not going to get resolved in a year or two. It's going to be five to 10 years. So what are you going to do? Well, yeah, I had a good conversation with my friend Jeff Wolf last week. He lives in Houston. He's a legend in the solar industry. And just like everybody else in Houston, Jeff's power was out for several days. But a few years ago, Jeff put in a nine kilowatt solar system on his roof in Houston with battery backup. Pretty typical system. We're doing that all the time for customers here in California. His lights were working. His fridge was working. Even if it was cold, even if it was cloudy, he had power. The system that he had was enough to keep his gas furnace running because there's a fan in the gas furnace. As long as there was pressure, natural gas pressure, he has enough power to run that fan in the furnace so he was able to keep his house warm. If he would have had a heat pump system, a lot of people are putting in heat pumps here, the newer ones operate on a very low amount of electricity. He would have been able to keep some of the heat going in the house as long as as long as there was energy in his battery and as long as the sun comes up every morning, you're going to recharge that battery. So there's solutions. So you're not going to be surprised. I mean, heck, Cinnamon Energy Systems, I've been doing solar for over 20 years. My recommendations for Texas is the same thing that people are doing in California related to the blackouts and the fires. The reason is, it's bl- glaringly apparent in California and it's glaringly apparent that the same thing's going to happen in Texas, that we can't count on our government to solve these electricity distribution and cost issues any time soon. And we're not going to count on businesses to do anything that compromise their profits. They're going to fight against doing things that are suddenly going to affect their profits, especially for businesses that are monopolized like utilities. They got a monopoly. They got a license to do whatever they want, and they've got the political clout, convince the regulators, whatever it takes for them to kind of keep doing the same thing. So, you know, you can see what's going on in California. So for these reasons, the utilities are really kind of too big to change. It didn't happen in California. It's not going to happen in Texas. And the regulators, unfortunately, from what we can see happening in California for years and years, they're not strong enough to change the ways our energy is generated and distributed. And I hate to say it, but many of the politicians, not all, but many, they get a lot of money from these incumbent businesses, from these utilities. And these politicians get reelected by being on the side of the utilities and saying, oh, you know, this problem's going to go away, here's a quick fix, but it never really gets done, and the utilities and the businesses get to keep maintaining the profit. So just like happened in California, I expect the situation to persist in Texas. It's not going to change in five years. Maybe there won't be another cold snap for another 10 years because I think that's how long it's going to take to get fixed if it really does. So you just got to say, what are you going to do yourself? And just like the smart people in California are installing their own reliable power systems, and you don't need a ton of money for it. You can borrow the money. If you have a building, if you have a house, there's ways to finance it. The solutions, if you're worried about more problems like this in Texas, California too, rooftop solar does the trick. Battery backup systems do the trick. Energy-saving controls can get you through these disasters. I mean, even if there's a problem like in Texas, even a gas generator is good. I'm obviously not a big fan of a gas generator, but... Boy, I'd love to be in the generator and the battery backup system business in Texas, but very, very happy here in California. Anyway, that's all the time we have on this week's energy show. 
Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.